0: Alright, well welcome back uh, to evening service for God's Word Baptist Church. Uh, we're going to be over in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to try to do my best to not move around much, so I'll be in a fixed position tonight. Um, hopefully that will help out somewhat, but uh, <clears throat> we'll see. But uh, let's go ahead and pray first. Uh, we'll get into chapter 7. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get through uh verses 7 8 9 and 10 we caught a little bit of 7 last week but uh we should be able to get uh, some better traction to get through this there's a lot that's uh, contained in here especially when we start talking about these better things to so take a look at an analysis of why they're better what is the other option and why it's not so good and that's uh, that's part of the reproving aspect of uh of uh of the of the work of the lord if you go through and he talks about reproving certain things, we find that uh, reproof it comes down to a very simple, uh, um, if you will, definition of just simply looking at what is the truth of the matter, what is the good thing, what is the righteous action, and what is the incorrect one, and also what the consequences of both are, uh, proving the work of the Lord and uh, obviously him reproving us in our uh, faith and, and uh, through those trials. To make sure that we understand what is the what is the better and why why we go after those things that are better. But let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer, and we will get into uh, a little bit more here in just a minute. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are again very thankful to be here tonight, and thankful again, Lord, that we have an opportunity to learn from you. I thank you again for this morning and for those that were here. And, And, Lord, I just pray that uh, as we continue to worship this day, uh, that we've set aside for your purpose, that, Lord, we would receive something from the book of Ecclesiastes that would uh, truly get us to think and meditate on you, know more about you and what you desire in our lives, that, Lord, we would please you and honor you, that we would fear you and do your commandments as you've called us to do. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with me and speak through me this evening, that this time would be pleasing, honoring, and glorifying unto you, and all of these things I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So uh, let's pick up with verse 7 and get the context of this little grouping of verses. It says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth a heart. We talked about that last week, about what oppression does, uh, why it is an issue. Now, obviously, these next few verses are dealing with this issue of oppression. You know when we we go through oppression, we go through some difficulties in our life uh, we, we we have a tendency to think very differently than we do when we are, if you will, in a season of blessing when we're uh, going through and everything seems like it's fine, everything seems good, and then all of a sudden something begins to happen in our life, uh, you know our thought processes change, and to a degree, we understand that, but at the same time, we also need to remember. That the, the main central idea of our thought should never change. It should always be Christ. It should always be what he desires in our life, what his will is, uh, what he wants us to do, how he wants us to behave, what he wants us to say. This should always be the case. Even when we're just, you know, going through life and everything is, uh, seems to be a good blessing and we've got a lot of peace and, 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 uh, uh, prosperity that, uh, we, we still should be asking that question on a day-to-day basis, hourly basis, going through our lives and making sure that we're not going to do anything that should put or could put those things in jeopardy or in harm. But here we are, um, where he gets into verse eight here where he talks about this better part. And and again, we we see this as the fifth one. He says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So there we see actually the fifth and sixth one that are there. And he goes through, he says, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. So while we see there's there's three betters that are being listed here, one of them is a, a, a caution. And that caution, we when we look at it, we have to be careful. Because again, we get into a mentality where we think one way and we don't realize that it's not the case. Uh, you know, we often talk about... Uh, you know, lies. We talk about obviously we know and understand God does not like a liar. Uh that is not something that God wants us to have in our life. But what we do know is that not only are we going to go about lying to others in this life, which we shouldn't do, but we have a tendency to lie to ourselves. Uh we will we will tell ourselves or we will think one thing, but it, it it's very blatantly not true. And we struggle with that because it's what we want to believe, and in somehow, some way, we 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 do it to either excuse or justify an action that is incorrect, or um, a thought process that shouldn't be there, or whatever the case may be. We tell ourselves these lies, and we see part of this is dealing with this in verse ten, and we'll get to that, uh, Lord willing, tonight. But we left off with uh, verse eight, where it says, "Better is the end." of a thing than the beginning thereof. Now, you know, sometimes when you begin on new adventures in your life, it, it, there's, there's a lot of uh, excitement that is there. So, uh, you know, I, I look at this verse and uh, immediately I think of uh, college students uh, because they go out there and they get in there and they're all excited about the the, the, the new environment. They get maybe to live in the dorm and there's new classes and uh, they get to meet new friends and it's it's just you know everything's new. but you know I guarantee you about the you know the the second semester of the first year, some of that starts wearing off fast, uh, especially when there starts to be an increase in the amount of work that is create uh, is demanded of them, uh, all of those things. and by the time they start getting through the middle part of it, they start looking forward to that end. And the end is exactly why the purpose began in the first place. So when we go through this life, as we talked about this morning, purposing, we as believers have to understand that when we purpose, there is an end to it. God has a purpose with this earth, yet there is an end to it. He has a purpose in each person's life, yet there is an end to it. And then another one begins but what we find is that as believers we, we we sometimes get things mixed up the the world gets things mixed up um and 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 the end result is sometimes we want to think that a certain position or a certain place is better than what is really the truth so in this case when we look at it here we're talking about the end that there's relief So here we are right in the middle of talking about uh, uh, oppression in the the previous verse. He's talking about oppression uh, uh, against somebody. I'll tell you that it's obviously better at the end of that. It's better at the end. Why? Because we begin to realize there's certain things that are going to come into place. Let's go over to the book of James. and Let's go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. God talks about the end. Now, if you've read your Bible through, uh, you've probably gotten to the book of Revelation and you realize there's an end. Well, there's an end to the book. Uh, you get through Revelation and, well, it's, it's all done. you got to go back and start it over again or wherever you, you start in your reading uh, patterns. But uh, the book of Revelation's the end book. And it, interestingly enough, starts off where it began. Uh, there's actually, a, a if you will, a, a time loop, a circle with that. It's not linear, so you see that in the garden it starts off or in the beginning it starts off with a earth, it starts off with man and it starts off with a garden and it starts off with a tree and What happens in revelation? it ends with man and it ends with obviously God there, and there is a a, a very new earth, and there's a tree, and it happens to be the same tree, the tree of life. The one that was prohibited after they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we see that there's a circle. It comes back to that all over again. And some people get a little uh, concerned about that and they start talking about, well, is there going to be sin thereafter? Is it going to be just this continual uh, uh, battle between good and evil and there's no winner? No, that's not what scripture says. Scripture makes it pretty clear. That sin, death, those those enemies, the devil, they've all been defeated. Uh, it doesn't exist. Now, for us, that takes a lot to compute. That's really hard to compute. It's really hard to begin to think of what the world would be like without any sin, without any temptation. That that, that God has a relationship with everyone, that, that God is readily visible, visible and accessible. That that everyone lives in harmony. There is no need for war. There is no need for uh, uh, police officers. There is no need. I mean, it's just a completely foreign concept to us. But yet, to a degree, we kind of look at that and we kind of go, well, that would be a lot better than what we have today. A lot better. So we begin to think about this process. and We begin to get to this in, in, in uh, James chapter 5, verse 11. He talks about this. He says, behold, we count them happy which endure. And obviously, there's a, a very clearly a part where, where God's asking some individuals that are going through some very difficult trials to endure, meaning they've got to make it through. And He says, "Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord; that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender, tender mercy." You know, the, the 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 end of something is often a, a, a very great relief. Uh, you go through a difficult and you go through a trial in your life. Uh, the end should be a part of very much our rejoicing, our, our thanksgiving. Because what we get to do is we get to see how merciful and how great our God is. We get to see his work. Uh, when it talks about pitiful here, it's talking about being full of pity. Uh, I'm glad he exercises pity towards me. Uh, I, I'm very glad he exercised pity towards the earth. We often, we often don't do that. We often don't look at somebody, and we, we, we look at pity today, and we think of it in a, uh, the wrong context. We don't think of it in the way that God talks about it. Uh, people think about pity, and they're like, well, I don't want your pity. I want your pity. Not because I'm throwing a pity party, but I want your pity. Because pity is necessary for mercy to exist. If God didn't have pity on you, he wouldn't have died for you. He would have just let you rot. But he is not like the other gods that are out there. He is a God that loves. He is a God that cares. He is a God that demonstrates that and shows that and waits for a response. He waits for that response. But here we are, we're seeing these individuals and he says, look, their happiness is tied to this. There's a happiness that is tied to this. And he's saying, look, we just have to get to the point where we talk about that word, that patience again. Patience. Job had a tremendous amount of patience. And let's think about it. In the end, was it better for Job to have gone through what he went through? Let's go over to Job chapter 42. Let's take a look at that. Take a look at the last chapter of the book of Job. And uh all these things happen and occur, and um, he, he loses everything. Um, but in the end, we see something get very, very, very different. Job chapter 42, and uh, uh, it was here in verse 7, it says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled again. <coughs> Excuse me, kennel against thee, and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, and for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken the thing of me which is right, like my servant Job. That's that's a very interesting thing that he says, I'm not going to do anything until Job prays for you and offers these sacrifices. That's how serious it is when people make some pretty big assumptions about who they think God is. God does not care for that. I mean, just reading right here, he does not care for it. And he does not care for it when we utter our mouths about it. So we have to be very careful. But as all these things, uh, they did this in verse uh, 10. It says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You go through this and we find, you know, here's his sons and daughters restored, his families restored. Uh, we find all of these things in regards to uh, the, uh, uh, the things that were taken away, the things that were uh, pillaged from him. He gets uh, twice as much. His, be, his condition was better than it was before, especially if we only look at the physical, right? But but we should know that by now, it's not just about the physical. It's not just about the fact that Job got twice as much. It's about the fact that here he is. He had a he, he had a better relationship with God at the end of this. And he had a relationship with God that, that where God was saying he was perfect, upright, and eschewed evil. Now God comes along and there's a little bit of correction along the way. God, uh, you know, Job responds to it in the correct manner. Uh, he realizes it's his fault, it's his problem. He goes through the, the, the corrective action that is there. And then the next thing you know is you find that Job has a greater relationship with God than he had when the book started. So over the course of of, of seven days, uh, you know, uh, there were some pretty dramatic changes in his life. But the most dramatic change was that at the course of the seven days, there was a a, a great change that took place. Now, if you understand things about the the timeline of what happens in this world, we understand that there is a seven-year tribulation that is to come. It has not taken place yet. That seven-year tribulation is is basically, as as God said in His Word, is that if He didn't shorten the days, that they would uh, uh, destroy all flesh. So we understand that, we get that. But what else we also see with this is that that seven days is very much paralleled to what goes on with some of the things with Job. He sits there for a while, and then uh, um, at the end of seven days, he begins to have this conversation with his friends. They start trying to blame and find blame with him and all these things that are going on. But in the end, there was a restoration that was made. And this is a very similar in typology what happens in the nation of Israel. At the end of the, the, the tribulation period and the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, you know who the top nation is? It's Israel. It's Israel. People have to go up to Jerusalem to worship Jesus Christ. And you don't mess with the Jew in any way, shape, or form. Because if you do, then it's going to end up very badly for you. If a nation all of a sudden starts doing the, uh, things that are contrary to, to what God says, uh, there's going to be some very serious consequences that we find. But what we find here is is very clearly there was a restoration that's made. There's a restoration that's made to the nation of Israel, those promises being fulfilled so we find that in a little bit of typology here in the book of Job. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, even though they're coming out of it with only a small remnant, it's better because they now have a closer walk with the Lord. The, the nation of Israel is where it was intended to be. And we begin to find that, that God continues to show this over and over again. Let's go over to another passage over there in 2 Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> uh, Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3 and we're going to take a look at verse 5. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, <clears throat> here, here he is as he's closing out this letter. He says to the Thessalonians, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. The patient waiting for Christ. You know, at the end of this life, if you're saved, born again, child of God, there is something that is much better than this life. If we're caught up in the air, it's better than what's down here. We, when we, when we think about it, there's so much better in the end than in the beginning. And this is what, what, what he's getting at is, you know, we're gonna go through some oppression, but at the end of the oppression, we have to understand that God is going to judge those that were the oppressors. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, I, I don't wish that on anybody. I don't wish that on anybody. You know, there are some people that that I seriously disagree with their politics, but I would never want to see them die and go to hell. If I had opportunity, I would love to tell them about Jesus Christ and how they can have forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven. <laughs> I really, truly desire to do that. Am I going to ever have the possibility to do that? I don't know. You know, the the, the Lord knows what the Lord knows, and and I'm not going to to try to to to. to um, uh, you know, try to insert myself in a p- place where I shouldn't be. But if the Lord puts that opportunity in front of me, I, I-, I definitely am going to take it. Uh, but the end result is this, is that when we start looking at what God says about those that are not found in the Lamb's book of life, those that have uh, chosen iniquity over him, the foolish way versus the way of wisdom, we find that the end thereof is definitely not good for them. But for the person that is being oppressed, the person that is about ready to go mad from it, the end of that oppression is better. The end of that oppression is better. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we, we, we think about that. You know, it, the, the mind um, that is set on the end and the glory of God is going to get through the oppression far easier than somebody that is looking at the situation. Um, You know, if we have the mindset to think about how is God going to get the glory out of this? If we have the mindset of regardless of what happens, God's going to get the glory in the end. Yeah. Then then it kind of dissuades the madness. Yeah. keeps it at bay. Keeps the crazy locked up. Uh, and i tell you sometimes we need that in our life right Uh, that 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 comes out of the the uh the the closet every now and then and we're just like get back in there we you know we don't need you out here but the mindset is what's really true about this this is the mindset that we have to have i mean you know during oppression uh, patience is going to be that key to endurance And it takes, it takes the right mind to go through that. And you know what that mind is? Better is the end than the beginning. Better is the end than the beginning. Let's take a look at a couple of passages of scripture. Let's go over to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter, uh, 37. Psalm chapter 37. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 37, and um oops, there we go. You know, it might help if I quit looking for Psalm 37 in Proverbs. <laughs> if I find 37 chapters in Proverbs, I got a problem. <laughs> Psalm chapter 37 verse 7, uh he says, "Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him; fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass." Man, you know isn't it great how the word of God just like just runs you through like a spear? It just <laughs> pins you to the wall. You're sitting there and you're just worrying about something, and then you read a verse like that: "Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who uh, who prospereth in His way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass." We shouldn't worry about that. But what do we do? We fret about it. We fret about it. Well, what are we going to do if this next election the the Democrats win? Everybody's you know like freaking out because of that. What what if they repeal the second amendment? What if what, what if they they actually put a law in place that that is worse than Roe v. 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 Wade? What 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 if what if okay, we can sit there and do what if all day long, but you know what the what if's going to do? It's going to drive you into the ifs. And you're going to live in a fantasy world. And you're going to go you're, you're going to go mad. You're going to go mad. So what we look at here is we go rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. Let him take care of the situation. We need to be busy doing what we're supposed to be doing. We need to be busy living for the Lord. We need to make sure that we're uh, uh, um, obviously uh, desiring that we would do his holiness and his righteousness. Uh, seek after him and, and follow his word and do his will. We do things like that. We're not going to have a lot of time to sit there and worry about what everyone else is doing. Because we have enough stuff on our own plate. We have enough stuff on our own plate. Take a look at chapter 40, Psalm 40. Psalm 40, and in verse 1, the psalmist declares, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. You know, God answering prayer is a very, very interesting thing. Many times there is the the, the prayer that is, is given out there and there's the direct answer of yes. And then there's the direct answer of no. And then there's the one of, mm, I don't know, well, let's wait, maybe. But then there's the time that God says nothing. People don't realize that one of the, one of the choices that God always has is to say nothing about it. And he wants you to keep praying about it till he does answer. Why? Because he's working in your life. He's building patience. He's trying your faith. Do you really truly uh, believe and are you willing to obey his word that says pray without ceasing? It's a, it, look, it's not one of those situations where, well, I asked, I asked once and, and I didn't get it. Maybe God wants you to continue to pray for it. I mean, if the answer is no, it's no. And you go, okay. Well, how do you know it's no? You'll know when it's no. (laughs) You'll know when it's yes. You'll know when, when when. and again, this all takes place because you're attuned to how the Holy Spirit responds to you. And if you're not in tune to how the Holy Spirit responds to you, then I dare say you need to start paying a little bit more attention in your Christian life. I think you're on autopilot. I think we have to 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 stop and start looking at what how God answers prayer in our life. You know, one of the greatest messages I ever heard preached was uh with Doug Fisher when he was up here and he was talking about how God works in patterns in our life. And praise God for that, because sometimes I'm too dull to understand when he does say yes and no. But he does have certain patterns that he works in our lives to to show us things. Thanks, thank God for it. And again, it's not we're not talking about signs or anything like that. But but, but turn over to the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter one. <clears throat> Colossians chapter one, th- there's this idea of, of of patience that exists in Colossians chapter one, <clears throat> and uh, um, in In verse nine, he says, uh, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. By the way, that's a really good, uh, desire to have in your life for somebody else. If you're, if you're, if you're looking to, to, to know how to pray for somebody right there, right there is a good one to start, to start with. That they might be filled with the knowledge of His will. And all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That, that is, that is, that, I will tell you this, that is the prayer of every pastor that really truly, you know, is trying to be a pastor. That's somebody that sits there and says, you know what, I, I just want you to do His will. I want you to know His will. I want you to fulfill His will. Uh, that's all I want. In the end, everything else is taken care of if this is accomplished. And as you go through into verse uh, 10 here, he says that that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's more of it because he says, look, if I'm going to pray constantly that you're in the will of God, here's the end result of what's going to happen. You are going to walk worthy and you're going to be fruitful in every good work and you're going to increase in the knowledge of God. This is why the will of God is so important. You want to know why people struggle with fruitfulness in their life and, 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 and struggle in the Christian life of walking worthy? It's because they're not seeking out the will of God. You seek out the will of God, you'll find exactly what God wants you to do, and you will know how to go about this Christian life and how to walk worthy. And here, here's what happens when all of this stuff comes together in verse 11. Strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering and joyfulness. So right there, he talks about patience. Well, what is it directly tied to? Knowing God's will. You know, this idea and this concept of, of praying for patience, okay, I get it. I understand what that's about. We, we, you know, as Christians, we kind of say that a little tongue in cheek um, about saying, oh, don't pray for patience because God will definitely give it to you. And you'll go through more trials and things of that nature. Look, if you want more patience. Then pray that God will reveal his will to you. Because his will involves patience. You have to wait for it. I mean, when you trusted Christ as your savior, you didn't automatically, boom, there you are, super Christian. You know, you get off your knees and then you rip open your shirt and there's a big S right there and you're like a little cape flows out. It says SC, super Christian, and you're immediately, you've got all these superpowers that you'll never do wrong ever again. Man, I wish that would have happened, but it didn't. You know what happened? It's called growth. It's called learning about Him. Because, look, you know how valuable it is when you learn something? I mean, think about it. You 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 learn how to do something in this life. It means a lot. I, you know, I never really learned how to ride a bike. Um, we never really had bikes as kids. And, and whether you think I would have had a deprived childhood or not, I didn't. I, I Look, I... Uh, while I may not have had a bike, I had a great childhood. I, I, had, I had a I had a fantastic childhood. Okay, it was uh, um, it was one that were was uh, very much God was at, at the forefront of it. And regardless of anybody's failings on my part, my parents' parts, or anybody's my friends' part, whatever it was, I will tell you this: I had a blessed childhood. I had a blessed childhood. And uh, if you've grown up in a Christian home and you're growing up in a Christian home, you need to, you need to be thankful, you need to give thanks unto God for that okay um don't don't ever take it for granted uh don't look for something wrong with it don't be one of those loyalists that goes around looking for everything that's wrong with it and start pointing out people's faults, yeah. otherwise, guess what you're going to do you're going to wind up being outside of the will of God really fast mm-hmm. but I'll tell you this and, and 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 when I think about that, I never. I never, never doubted that my parents cared for me, that they, my parents loved me. And because, you know what, it wasn't about a bike. It wasn't about things. You know, they cared enough to make sure that I was in church. You want to talk about parental love? Right there. And uh, I'll tell you, I never learned how to ride a bike. I tried to, uh, when I first, uh, met Amy and we were bike riding up in, uh, Kirkland, Washington, around Lake Washington, Man, I almost ran over little children and babies. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> I'm like all over the road. I'm like, people are like, "Hey, watch it. I, you know, people are probably cursing me out as I'm driving past. And you know, <clears throat> it was, it was a dangerous thing. It was not, it was not good. But, uh, I never learned how to ride a bike, but, you know, if I did, I'd, I'd probably treasure that. You're like, well, it's really easy, and, and yeah, okay. You know, don't try to ch- train a 48-year-old man with back problems how to ride a bike right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't, 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 get, don't get in your head that you're going to go out there and, you know, bring in a bike one Sunday and go, hey, I'm going to show you how to do it, because guess what? I'm not getting on that thing people with the nickname crash and burn don't do that <laughs> so uh you know i i but there's other stuff that i learned you know what i learned the importance of church i learned the importance of god's word i i learned the importance of making sure that i follow christ in every single way that i can making sure that i'm available to serve him when he calls um those are things that I learned, and those are things that I value. And it's such a great thing when we value that. But you know what? It takes patience to learn that. It takes patience. I, I, I didn't automatically get it when I was saved. Uh, it took me some struggles. I struggled with eternal security in my teen years. Um, I struggled with it for a long time. I struggled with other sorts of things. I struggled with... Um, you know, people doing dumb things in churches that that I would get offended over, and and things of that nature. But the end result is, I will tell you this: that throughout that patience, better was the end of the thing. When I learned the lesson, when I patiently learned the lesson, let's not be in such a hurry to 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 to, to learn the lesson that we skip past on the better part, and that's generally what happens in this life. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If we're going to learn the will of God, it's going to take some patience. It's going to bring about patience in our life. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 36, he says, for ye have need of patience. Man, Jesus comes right out of the gate. Wow. We have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Oh, there it is again, isn't it? Hand in hand. And sometimes we get so so wrapped up in 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 seeing the end of the matter that we don't take time to relish God's work in between. Yeah. Man, we just we just like man. I want it done. I want it done now. Well, what does that accomplish? What does that accomplish? Yeah. This is probably a horrible, horrible, horrible um, analogy and illustration, but you know, at some of those Lego conventions, they have these speed builds, and and they, they 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 build sets as fast as they can, accurately. And I'm not talking about one of those little, you know, twenty-piece sets. I'm talking about the ones that have got like a couple of thousand, and they want those things, and and there's there's a time limit you got to build it as fast as you can and you get like five or six guys on the team and I'll tell you it it just becomes sheer pandemonium people are screaming and yelling and parts are flying everywhere and you know pages they actually take the instruction booklets and they just rip them in half and rip them in quarters and hands you know groups to people and things like that and you know it's it's just a madhouse and some of you know that I enjoy you know indulging in that But I enjoy in the building part. The speed build, eh, eh, not so much. Now, there's another benefit to that. You get the parts that you built with, which is nice, for free. But I'll tell you this, it it doesn't bring you joy in the final accomplishment. Because you're not patiently building it. You miss so many things. And it becomes a desire to build it the same way in a Christian life. This is, you know, again, this may not be the best analogy, but it's the same way in the Christian life. As God continues to build up in us and build us the way he wants us to be, we have to have patience for it. You know, a house isn't built overnight. And if it is built overnight, it's generally probably pretty shoddy workmanship. So, what we want to do is we want to allow the Lord to build in us the right way according to the plans, but it takes time. It takes the right materials. And some of those materials are not that easy to work with. Wood, hay, and stubble is pretty easy to work with. Gold, silver, and precious stone, not that much. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit more difficult to build with. It takes a lot more time, it takes a lot more effort. And when we begin to realize that God's asking us to have some patience and and, and we know the will of God, he says, look, we need patience after we've done the will of God. Why? We do the will of God and then we wait for God to do what he wants, what he's going to do. His grace, his work, his hand in it. We've accomplished what we should do. And we move on. We let God handle the rest. We let God handle the rest. If we go back over there to, to that uh, uh, verse in verse 8 of uh, Ecclesiastes, it says, Better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So there we are talking about the patient in spirit. That, that we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our in our spirit to communicate the need for patience, the need to do the will of God and do it the right way. But here's the problem. is There's going to be another voice that's in there. And sometimes that voice is the one that we listen to. And what is that voice? That's the voice of ourself. It's our own pride. He says right here, uh, that when it talks about this betterment part, he says, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. If we take a look at what happens with a person that has pride, we realize what the end of the pride is, right? What does the Bible say about the person that has filled with pride? They fall. They fall. When when we take a look at what happens with uh uh you know Satan lifted up in pride, will you understand the end of him? That's not a pleasant one. This is why he says it's better to exhibit patience than to sit there and be of that demanding uh, uh of it's mine, I want it now, give it to me, I, I need it. That mentality. Uh, a perfect example would be the nation of Israel. Oh, we're hungry. We're all gonna die. Gives you manna. You pick it up. You eat it. The bizarre little bread. And and, and and what happens? Oh, we loathe this light bread. We want flesh. And then he brings it to them. He gives them, he gives them the desires of their heart. And, and in the end, it was not for their betterment. You ever read that passage and you find that it was not for the betterment of the nation of Israel? They suffered because of it. So when we begin to realize that, the, that when we start injecting pride into the process of waiting on God, we're gonna we're not making anything better. We're not making anything better. We don't walk in there with the entitlement mentality. We don't walk in there saying, I deserve this don't walk in there saying hey, this is all mine this is this is this is a human right that you know i get all of these things why are you treating me this way we don't do that god doesn't take kindly to it and we need to be thankful and and very clearly i will tell you this this nation needs to learn with food and raiment therewith be content right, we're we're so 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 Blessed beyond measure. And sometimes I wonder if these blessings aren't necessarily some cursings. But the end result is, is we begin to see that God says the end of it is better. Wait on him. You put that pride in there, it's going to affect us. It's going to affect us. Uh, our, our pride will affect our decision-making process. And you know what happens? We go right back to verse 7 where it will drive us mad. It'll drive us mad. Because we don't want to wait patiently, and we don't think that the end is better. And we start fretting, and the next thing you know is we're mad. We're mad. We're we're not thinking correctly. Take a look at verse 9 here. He says in this passage, he says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Uh, I mean, here, here again we see another situation where he's saying that this is the this is what happens when individuals become oppressed. When people become oppressed, they have a tendency to get angry. They don't like it. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. But rather than being patient and waiting, that pride comes in and that pride influences us to be hasty. You ever jump into a situation or something uh, uh, well before you understood exactly what all was entailed? You you, you ever get uh, snookered into one of those things of, hey, I'm gonna give you a free, you know, free dinner and and you're gonna get a free this and a free that. All you gotta do is just come and sit in this seminar. No. I got better things to do with my time. Man, I am not the guy that you wanna take for that. Trust me. I'll sit there the whole time with my arms crossed just glaring at the guy. And then they'll come up and like, what, you don't believe in it? No, I don't. (laughs) Sorry. But if I show you, I don't care. It's just not going to happen. Where's my free? Where's my free grill? Where's my free this? Where's my free that? <clears throat> you know, give me my free tickets that I'll never use for a cruise that I'll never go on because I don't swim. Uh, <laughs> it's just you know, <clears throat> it, it, it's just one of those situations. And 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 what happens is we jump into situations without actually waiting for God to tell us when to move. This is why we have to know the will of the Lord. If we know what the will of the Lord is, he will instruct us when the right time to move is. And what I mean by that is you go through and you find that God walks through that will of his his will throughout his entire word and he identifies and he says, okay, here's a situation. Here's an example. Here's where people messed up. Do you see the problem? Do you see where they, they had the error in thinking? And goes through all of those things. And as we patiently learn that, we then can turn around and begin to apply it to that. But generally, people become too hasty to get the blessing that they miss out on actually seeing the real blessing of God working. And and, and and here's the situation. Uh, people just, th- that hasty spirit just leads right to the anger. It leads right to anger. Now look, we know anger is not sinful. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. So we know it's not sinful. God gets angry. So we know it's not sin because God doesn't sin. So that means there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Exactly. There's a right way to have anger, there's a wrong way to have anger. When the anger is controlling us, when the anger is there, and we, 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 we use it incorrectly to create more problems than to, to get drawn nearer to the Lord and solve the problem, then the end result is, is, is we just create a bigger mess. Because we're hasty. And here he says, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. Sometimes we just want to be angry. Sometimes we just want to be angry. And I think we have to actually stop. We have to ask ourselves this question. Because if I take a look at this from the perspective in emotional and in counseling, you know what I'm going to do? Every time I feel that anger start to, I start asking myself, okay, am I being hasty? Have I listened to the whole matter? No. No. Okay, well there's a problem. (laughs) Uh, And maybe I'm assuming something? Am I looking at the wrong thing? You know what anger is supposed to do? That anger comes up in your life. The immediate response is, is you start asking those questions. You're like, well that's not what, that's not how I use anger. Well that's the problem. (laughs) We use it the wrong way. We use it to lash out. We use it to be hasty. The end result is we take that anger and we start using it to analyze our heart, and we start looking at it and saying okay this this is really making me upset. Number one, doeth thou well to be angry, Ken <laughs> over there in the book of job or Jonah doeth thou well to be angry I got to start there and if if God asks me that question." Am I going to be defiant like 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 Jonah and go, yeah, I'd do as well to be angry for the gourd. No, you don't, Jonah. What did he do? He was lying to himself and in turn just lying directly to God. Yeah. Man, that takes some guts <laughs> to do something like that. But the end result is God teaches a lesson. Now, we, we never find out the end of what happened there with, with, with old Jonah. I just, you know, for me, uh in my opinion, I have a tendency to think that he sat there and he probably thought about it for a little bit as he was baking in the sun, <laughs> watching the Ninevites go around and start doing what is right. Yeah. And I'd like to think that maybe Jonah got his act together and said, you know what, you showed mercy to 120,000 people. Uh, no, I shouldn't be angry. I should be praising you. I'd like to think that that happened. I don't know. I don't know that it happened. It ends with a question. Or God asks that. Should I not? Should I not show mercy? Should I not be who, he, who I am? And, and that, it's just an amazing thing to think about. And, and Jonah was a man of God. He should have known. But as we think about this, we think about this this mentality where where you know that angry spirit comes in, and he says, "Look, this is the problem. When anger is used incorrectly, it's, it's, it rests in the bosom of fools." Now, now, as I've often said before, emotions are transient, aren't they? You can't be happy all the time. If you are happy all the time, they usually come with these really cool white coats and this really cool room that's got padded walls. Because that's not normal. But what we do is we think about exactly what God's telling us with emotions and how we respond. We understand that happiness is going to come, and then happiness is going to go. But we understand that, that sadness and sorrow comes in our life, but then eventually it moves on. You know, after a period of time. But here, with anger, anger is supposed to come. And anger is supposed to go. But when a person is hasty to be angry, they allow the anger to set up shop. What does it do? It sits there. Look at what it says in that. It says, anger resteth. It sits there. It comes in. It kicks in the door and it says, I'm here. And gets on your couch, grabs the remote away and starts making itself comfortable. (laughs) Next thing you know is it's living in one of your rooms. And eating your food. Like some unwanted house guest. This is why we don't allow it to rest there. Anger comes and we tell it, okay, I've done it. I've used it accordingly. Now we need to use and now you need to move on. I'm done being angry. The problem's resolved. It's fixed. Forgiveness has been given restoration has been complete reconciliation has been made everything is fine or generally the case is i was in error in being angry so you need to move on you don't belong here so what we look at is we look at where it stops and where it stays and if it rests in the bosom of fools well what's in our bosom it's talking about our heart It's talking about deep down inside us, it decides to set up and and stay there and it won't leave. And and this is the the foolish mentality because the fool is going to say in their heart, there is no God, they're defiant in their nature, they're defiant in the things towards God, they refuse to listen, so the end result is, is this guest comes into their house and stays there the whole time and begins telling them what to do. Now, when there's oppression that's going on and there's things that are going wrong uh, that, that we look at that we want to get changed in our life, the worst thing for us to do is to invite that house guest to come in and stay. Look, I get angry when people do things that I look at in the, in, in the news or hear, or they make decisions that I go, well, hey, uh, well you got to remember they're unsaved. They're not going to make the right decision. They're going to make the foolish decision. Let's not become a fool and just go right into it and get angry. That's what the devil wants. That's a temptation. That's one we have to avoid. It's one that we need to avoid. You know, um, when, when, uh, when pride brings in that hasty action, uh brings in that anger uh it leads to to a situation that is being uh handled incorrectly uh it, it rests it becomes a foolish behavior and and the person circumstances are worse off than they were before because now they've got something else in there that they have to worry about but here's here's part of the issue and here's why sometimes it gets uh and I like how Solomon points this out it, it, sometimes the situation is the way we think. We drive ourselves mad because of the way we think. We think that, uh, that there's no end to it without realizing that there is. We're not patient. Anger is in our life because we're hasty. Take a look at what he says there in verse, uh, verse 10. He says, say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not require or inquire wisely concerning this. <clears throat> I remember growing up and, uh, I remember, uh, and I, I grew up in a church that, uh, over in Idaho, uh, it was filled with cowboys. It was filled with cowboys. There was a lot of cowboy hats. Uh, there was a lot of boots. Uh, pastor wore boots. Uh, and, you know, people rode horses, things like that. Was a lot of ranch land at the over there at the time now it's all little subdivisions <laughs> um and and I just remember that there's times that some people would talk about oh man just you know I was born i'm a man out of time i, sh- I was i was born for the for, for the 1800s you know the the wild west and and going out there and being a cattle farmer and things like that and i'm like yeah I can understand the thought process with that but it's the wrong thought the murder rate was a lot higher. It was, <laughs> and and guess what? There wasn't a lot of people seeking vengeance. You know, Uh well, it's probably not portrayed in the movies as uh, um, uh, quite the way that it was, but we we get this mentality that you know somehow, some way, uh, in comes this guy on a white horse and takes care of it, or. You know, wearing a pale blue suit and, uh, you know, on a white horse with a mask and riding around with a Native American Indian with him, thinking everything's gonna be fine, right? Or, or whatever it is, and we get, we get indoctrinated that those days seemed so much simpler and so much better back then. Like in the 50s, somehow, way, everything was just so much better and so much, they were living in a life of, of, of learning how to duck into fallout shelters. They were fearing they were going to get bombed at every aspect. Cuban Missile Crisis, things like that. You know, again, there's not very many people that go back and say the 70s were the greatest time on earth. Very few do that. Some of the hippies do. But we have a tendency to think that those days were better. But they weren't. You know, the days of old were not better than what they are now. Let me give you an example. Days of Noah, better or worse than what we have right now. And Some of us are going to say, well, I don't know. Yeah, it can get a lot worse. When we're down to eight people left that love the Lord, then we can start talking about how bad it is, okay? But we're not at that stage. We're not going to get there, thankfully. Praise God for it. But a lot of that mentality is going to be there. And we start thinking about what the solution to it is. Now, the solution is never to go back in time. The solution is never to go back in time. I, I, I look at that, and I look at these, you know, the, the, back in the day, it was, it was kind of the mentality. Um, now, it's not so much. But people would always look back in the, and say, Man, you know, you, you need to get for your, your kid for a car, you need to get him a big old boat, you need to get him like a 1960-something, you know, Ford Galaxy that is actually the size of a Galaxy and, uh, you know, takes one, gal- uh, one gallon to go, you know, one mile and, you know, four quarts of oil to go one mile and, you know, some big beast of a machine. You know, there's a reason why they've invented car safety measures. People can survive a lot better. Back in the day, they never had roll bars or roll cages on those convertibles. You know how many people lost their lives in Corvettes? Those Porsches? Today, uh, there was an accident on I-5 southbound, and it was a blue Ford Mustang rolled. Everyone got out. Corvette. I think it was a convertible. Everyone got out. They were safe you know what it did? Hydroplane smacked into a car, smacked over there, skidded across, and then flipped up on, the side its, you know, on its top. And we look at that and we go, wow. Safety measures. You know, things aren't always better. Things aren't always better when things are in the past. Let me ask you this. Do you think that maybe yesterday was better than today? Now if you're if you're judging it like, you know, the world will judge it or judging it as somebody that, you know, has back problems, you might say, well, you're going to judge it based off of that. But let me ask you, uh wasn't today a good day? You were in church. You had fellowship with believers. You may have learned something from God. I pray that you did, not because of me, but because of him. You know? Are we better Let me ask you, were you better before you trusted Christ or now? (laughs) You're like, man, you just cut right the throat. Yeah. Because I think about it and I go, you know what? So many times we get caught up in that mentality of thinking. And Solomon says, Don't go that direction. Don't 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 try to relive the past. Don't don't try to, to go back to those and, and, and declaring that those things were better than what are now. Because he just declared that the end of the thing, if you will, the future is far better than the present and it's far better than the past. How often do we think that way? This is where the mindset comes in about how we begin to please the Lord, how we fear him, how we keep his commandments, how we do his will, is to start having a mentality of this nature. Now next week we're going to pick up and we're going to see some interesting things about wisdom and money in the comparison. And Solomon says both are good, but only one provides life. and We should know what that one is. And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that this time has been honoring and pleasing unto you as we've uh, heard Scripture and, Lord, uh, the instruction from you. I pray, Lord, that we would keep these things in our heart. We'd meditate upon them, Lord, that we may please you and honor you with all that we say and do. And Lord, as we have an opportunity, maybe some of us have some time off tomorrow, Pray, Lord, we would take into consideration the sacrifices that were made. And Lord, we would be very prayerful for this country and desirous to see it do what is right. But Lord, in order to do that, it's got to start with us. And Lord, I pray that we would keep that in our heart and our mind. Lord, I pray you just give us opportunities through this week to continue to present your gospel, that somebody might trust Christ as their Savior, to encourage one another, to edify. Lord, to please you throughout it. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.